When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show. That's my day job and director of TheManChurch.com. Uh, welcome to our Bible Study. We come from the studios uh, of the Rick and Bubba Show, and we are walking through the Revelation. So if you if you want to go ahead and turn where we're going to be, we're, we will start chapter 19 today, and we'll go through the first 10 verses. I uh, do want to take a moment uh, to give a shout-out and, uh, and know that we're all praying for the recovery of Josh Sisk. Out of our group here, Josh uh, uh, really is trying to go for the Brother-in-Law of the Year Award. Uh, he has donated his kidney uh, to his brother-in-law, who, uh, I mean, that one, that's a biggie right there. Uh, I don't know that I'd give mine to my brother. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, but brother-in-law, that, that's, that's really an incredible act. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, being the hands and feet of Jesus. So, Josh, uh, the surgery has gone and uh, gone well, but it's a, it's a tough recovery. And our prayer should be for Josh's recovery. Hey, Josh, uh, uh, in Dallas, he's got a couple of weeks he'll have to recover. Uh, and we need to pray for the brother-in-law that the kidney is received by his body and it saves his life. So, so that's, that's a biggie. So I uh, want to tell Josh that all the men here, we miss you today. But, man, we are certainly celebrating uh, your sacrificial example uh, and uh, and looking a lot like the Jesus that redeemed you. So uh, we love you, and we'll continue to pray for you and for your brother-in-law. All right, so some things that we need to know. So with themanchurch.com, I want to talk about this. I know for a lot of churches out there, uh, men, if you're a you know, leader in the men's ministry, or can, can I tell some of you guys, because sometimes you'll email me and you'll say, and it's okay, I love it, hey, we don't have anything going at our church. I don't know what's wrong with our church. I don't know why we don't have anything for men. Maybe you should do something. Uh, maybe it's God calling you to be the one, because uh, the pastor would love for you to uh, come to him and, and say, you know what, I, I'm not just going to keep talking about this. I'm actually going to be the person who'll actually lead it. Uh, I would say 99% of all men's ministries around the country are lay led. They're, they're they're led by just men in the church. Uh, of course, with the with the authority of the church, uh, you know, standing there ready to help. Uh, but trust me, uh, it's going to take somebody like you to step up and do it. So maybe you're already in that position, and you're saying, you know, for a lot of churches, the year starts in the fall. Uh, and so I want to remind you that at themanchurch.com, we have four 40 week curricula. Uh, that are standing by and ready. If you're if you're looking for things to implement, I know when I started, uh, you know, and took answered the call to lead the men's ministry at my local church. One of the things I ran into pretty quick was the small group leaders really struggled to find content because not many of them were comfortable expository teaching yet. Uh, so uh, we started working on those really out of necessity uh, for something that would be easy to implement but yet has that tone for men. Uh, it certainly is challenging. It certainly are, they're deep dives. 
and uh, there's one called The Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity. Uh, there's one called Real Men of the Bible. Another one is called Be Disciples. And uh, the latest one is called Impact. And then, of course, there's a fifth one that we're working on now that will come out in 2024. So if we can help you, uh, you know, it falls here. If you'd like to say, let's get started and get some stuff for our small groups, go to themanchurch.com, uh, click on Get Started, and then it'll ask you if you're a leader in the church, and you'll say yes because you're going to be leading the men's ministry and, uh, and or if you're a pastor uh, or a minister, you can jump in there and look for yourself. They're all there. Every one of them has a video underneath. Just click More Info, and I'll come on and tell you the theme of that curriculum. Uh, and then also there's a sample video, what the curriculum looks like, and then there's a sample study guide that the facilitators uh, and all the men in the small groups have for them to walk through. So all that's there at themanchurch.com if we can help you. A couple of things going on. We also go out and send speakers. Uh, man churches are going on. That's the high challenge part of what we do. Uh, and we've got on August 31st, um, if you're watching this or listening to this live, that's tomorrow night, Thursday night this week, Calvary Baptist Church, Union City, Tennessee. Lee Moore from our team will be there. They're kicking off the strategy. So they'll, they'll have a service. The men will be challenged. Then they'll plug into one of these four uh, curricula that I just gave you. I'll be headed up to Sand Spring Baptist Church, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, on September the 9th. This is their next man church. They're already in a curriculum, uh, but we're going to continue. This is their next time to gather them back in the small groups if you want to plug in there. And the next morning, I'll speak at both services at the same church. September the 10th, uh, Ozark Baptist Church, Ozark, Alabama, Brian Gunn will be there. Uh, and then I uh, want to tell you up on September the 22nd, it's actually going to be what we have from time to time. We'll send more than one speaker, and they'll kind of have like a, a man church one day where they'll, they'll spend more time together, almost like a mini conference. Andy Blanks and Lance Ingram go to Utawa Baptist Church in Utawa, Tennessee. Do you all know where that is? Yeah, yeah right, right near Chattanooga. So that's coming up on September 22nd. Did I say that right? I think I did. That's your area, Benny. Did I say that? Uh, also, September 28th, Northside Baptist Church, Jasper, Alabama. Andy Blanks will be there. They're already in curriculum, but this is their next man church. Winfield First Baptist Church, Winfield, Alabama. They're in year three. They're in their third curriculum. Tony Cooper from our team will go into, be going to their next man church there. So, And you can find others in October and other things that are going on by going to themanchurch.com. If we can help you in any way with men's ministry, challenging or equipping men, we're ready to go at themanchurch.com. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and we'll jump into the Revelation chapter 19. Lord, thank you for today. May your Holy Spirit guide us as we work through uh, today's powerful passage as we look ahead to things that are to come and, and applying them now to, to the life we're living in, in our current situation. Uh, Lord, I pray you continue to call us to you, redeem us if we have not been redeemed, sanctify us as we mature, and Lord, may we be looking forward to that day when you finally glorify us and this battle is over and we stand in perfection, reconciled perfectly to you through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's go to Revelation 19. You know we've got, we've, we've got, we've got a shift here. If you want to put a title on this, we're about to see a heavenly hallelujah. You know, hallelujah. So uh, the long-awaited time approaches, uh, and, and, and the scene has shifted in, in the Revelation. It's shifted from all the things going on on earth, where it's been since chapter 6. Now we're going to look and see what's going on in heaven. Now remember, the mourning and dismay that we talked about 
we, we actually saw that shift happening last week when we finished 18. You know, there was mourning and dismay on earth due to the destruction of Babylon, but you were starting to see as 18 ended, this was actually bringing joy to heaven. Antichrist empire has been given its fatal blow. The final destruction uh, of all the world's forces will take place shortly at Armageddon. So that, that's about to happen. Babylon has been destroyed. And then this is moving us to now that battle at Armageddon, which we'll look at in, in 20. Um, so uh, the, the question that is always asked, I got even some questions about it in email this week, uh, is this, this concept of God's wrath being handed out on unrepentant sinners, and somehow this is a celebration. Uh, you can see why it's a celebration that that Antichrist is dead and and Satan is headed to his final destruction and 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 the angels that rebelled with him they're all headed to final destruction. But what about the celebration of the destruction of the unrepented people? Uh, some people really struggle with that. Uh, is this rejoicing insensitive? Is it um, is this not called for? Well, you have to remember that sinners have been given more opportunity, especially the ones that will still be here at the tribulation. Of all the sinners on earth that would not repent, no one has been given more opportunity than them. Uh, they, they, listen to all that they've seen, okay, the ones that, were, that went through the tribulation and are still alive. They have seen disasters that cannot be explained by any other uh, force than God himself is doing it. He made it very clear it's coming from him. There's been preaching that has been the most powerful evangelical preaching the earth has ever seen with 144 Hebrew evangelists that are declaring that Jesus is Messiah and they need to repent. Uh, they have also had two witnesses that came back from the dead uh, right before their very eyes and were lifted back into heaven after, after calling for everyone to repent. But yet, despite all the, they've even had powerful angels declare things to them from heaven, and they still have not repented. They, they remain that all the way to the end. Uh, they, they have a hardened uh, unbelief and defiant hatred of God. And I think many times we forget, uh, we get so concerned about how God sees us, and we maybe should be more concerned about how we see him. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I've told you this before in here in, uh, you know, uh, I know that, uh, some of you in here, we I was just having a conversation are rereading my wife's book, uh, uh, that she wrote, it came out in 2016 Bronner about our son that, that is already with the Lord and, and his earthly death and the impact of all that. And where is God and all that. And, and one of the, probably I get this over and over again, one of the more profound things that God taught us through that, cause he's always teaching is that uh, when my wife got to the point that she said for the first time in her life she had had compassion for God. We'd never really thought about that before. It's always about us. So, you know, well, look what's happening to us. Poor, poor, pitiful me. Poor, poor, pitiful me. And she said through that, God was teaching me. And, and of course, uh, you know, at the time, we were, we were being taught by those who loved us, including our, our pastor at the time, that we were going to see things happen through this that weren't going to happen any other way. And part of that is people that have been redeemed and are going to now spend eternity in the presence of God, reconciled to God, that this event God used to draw them to him. In our families, strangers, all over, I mean, thousands and thousands. It continues to this day. And 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 God, you know, was teaching, and Sherry said she realized that that we would be reconciled to Bronner, 
Uh, but but God was making it clear that if these people go without repentance, they will not be reconciled to God, and God will have no part with them. And these are His children. And uh, and she said, for the first time in my life, I realized that any sacrifice that God had asked us uh, to uh, to actually participate in, if it was bringing His children to redemption, because the ones who don't, He will never have fellowship with again. She said, for the first time in my life, I had compassion for God. You know, do we ever, do, do, do we ever, are we ever concerned about our treatment of God? We seem to be always concerned about his treatment of us, but, but we have very little concern about our treatment of him. I, I had someone make, make that point today that somebody was asking something about, I don't, I won't get in the topic because it upsets people, but this thing again, where we're trying to tell God how we want heaven to be. Okay. And, and, and the thing that hit me is I don't know why we make so much of this world and make so little of him. How about this? If heaven is nothing but him, that's it. What else do we need than to be in his presence? But people seem to say things, well, I want to be in his presence and I want my puppy dog, or I want to be in his presence and I want a bass fish. I want to be in his presence and I still I want a deer hunt. I want to be in his presence and I still want to see my football team. I want to be in his presence and I still want to go to the lake. I want to be in his presence and I still want to go to the beach. I want to be. Why is his presence not enough? Do you really think these things of the world even remotely compare to him? So, so I, I think we have a very limited view of God sometimes and a very high view of this world. And, and he'll do whatever he has to do to be sure he can change that attitude. And he loves us enough to do that. So, so anyway, so when, when we get to this, we're going to see five reasons uh, and why heaven is rejoicing. And, and we'll look in verse 1. One of the reasons we're going to see in 19 verse 1, one of the reasons for this celebration is full salvation has come. That's reason number one. Full salvation has come. Look, look at verse 1. After this, and we've been taught what that means, after this I heard what seemed to be uh, the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. After these things, now what have we learned throughout the Revelation? What that means, this is a new vision. John's seen something he hasn't seen before. After these things, a new vision, after the destruction of Babylon, but before the triumphant return of Christ to establish the millennial kingdom, this is in between that, okay? The laments over Babylon fade away into shouts of hallelujah in heaven. Something like a loud voice, John said, a great multitude in heaven. Not sure, we're not told exactly who this multitude is, but likely what he's hearing are the angels, the great multitude of angels. It, it doesn't seem to include the saints, and we'll see that, because in a little while they're encouraged to join in. So this must not be them yet. It must just be the angels. Uh, and, and it was like an overwhelming angelic choir. They open with a hallelujah. This is a Hebrew phrase. That, that is used to mean to praise God. Praise God. Now, here's what you're going to love, and I told a, a, a brother of mine yesterday that um, that he and I have been in a, a mentor-mentee relationship for many years, and, um, man, he's a powerful young man of God. I just love watching him as a husband and a father and a devout follower of Jesus, and he's helping me uh, as well. Uh, and and he, he was surprised when I said that. Did you know this is the only time in the New Testament that the hallelujah appears? We, we don't have it yet. 
Wouldn't you think, well, surely we've said hallelujah in the New Testament. We don't. Now, we got an Old Testament, but, but there's no. this is the first hallelujah of the New Testament. And that is when, when salvation has finally come. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It, the Greek version uh, uh, is what we're seeing here. And, and, uh, and of course, the Hebrew version uh, I've already given you. But, um, but one of the things that we're hearing is it says, let sinners be consumed from the earth uh, and, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord. Uh, and so if, if you look at the Greek version of it, it, it it's, it's real clear that this is also not just a celebration that salvation has come. Part of that celebration in the Greek here being used that means hallelujah is it's also we're celebrating that wickedness is being removed. Okay? It, uh, it, 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 it's gone. Uh, praise the Lord. So hallelujah expresses praise for God's, and this is the part that some people don't like. See, what we always see is, we're praising the Lord that he's been so gracious to me. Doesn't wrong with that. But really, when you look at what hallelujah truly means, it's a praise for God's judgment on the wicked. It's a praise for God's judgment on all the oppressors of, of, of his people, but also all the enemies of him. Remember what we said, and I had to deal with somebody in email about that again this week. If, if, you, if you are unrepentant, you are an enemy of God. And, and I don't think, I, I never saw it that way. I just thought I was kind of, you know, you know I'm, I'm, I know I do some things I shouldn't do and you know, I shouldn't do that, but you know God still loves me and all this and I'm living a life that's in total rebellion of him. But I never really saw myself as an enemy of God. I think if I'd seen myself as an enemy of God, it might have been a quicker wake-up call. And see, I think that's a ploy uh, and some of it, as James says, is just our old fallen flesh, but it's a ploy from the adversary. If you look, there is an ongoing propaganda that's been going on since the fall to not take sin serious. It's not a big deal. Of course, if you look at the brutality of Jesus, it appears to be a pretty big deal. It's not a big deal. You know, it's 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 an all shucks. None of us are perfect. You know, we we, we do the best we can. Uh, but but if you if you see sin as something God hates, and you see that unrepented sin makes you an enemy of God, it's a little different. You you take repentance a little more serious, and so their celebration is all enemies of God have been removed. All enemies of God that that oppressed us and hated Him, He's done away with. So um, the, the the Hebrew. Is is you know talking about they're singing hallelujah, why? Because they were delivered from the bondage and the slavery of Egypt. That's the that's the Old Testament hallelujah. Okay, praise the Lord, He's delivered us from bondage. Oh, this is good. But the New Testament hallelujah, we've been delivered from sin. We're praising God because we've been delivered from bondage too. You know, you don't have to be a Hebrew to do a New Testament hallelujah. Because we have been delivered from the bondage of sin, we're no. What, what does Paul say in Romans six when he sees people abusing the grace? You're not slaves to sin anymore. Remember how many times we taught that? If you're sinning now after redemption, you're sinning as a free person. You're a you're a free slave that's gone back to the master of your own free will. You've been delivered from sin. You haven't been delivered to sin. You've been delivered from sin. Hallelujah. 
And, and so that's what the New Testament, hallelujah, salvation has come for God's people. Glory and power, who do they belong to? It says they belong to God. Who, glory doesn't belong to you and me. Well, we love to try to take it, don't we? And what does the Bible tell us about that? He will not share his glory. But somehow we keep thinking he will. You know, we, we instead of us pointing everybody to, to, to God, we tend to kind of point everybody to us. And, and, and then we get all this weird theology now where somehow God's just enamored with us. He worships us. We don't worship him, which I, I don't get caught up in that uh, because that because here it is. Hallelujah. You've delivered us from sin. Salvation and glory and power belong to God, not people, not us, not angels, to him. Matter of fact, you're going to see in a minute, an angel has to set John straight here in a minute. Hey, 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 get, oh, whoa, don't put me where I don't belong. Okay, so glory, power, they belong to God alone. And here's the beautiful part of this hallelujah. The glory and power of God, because of the completion of the salvation plan, we now see God's glory and we see his power on full display. Why? Because he's removed everything that opposes him, and he's about to go out there and finish it once and for all. So, so. Now the second thing. So the first thing we see, the, the celebration in heaven is because salvation has come. Number two, because justice is melted out. Hey, ju- there's justice. Look, look at verse two. For his judgments are true and just. Right? Whatever God does is right. You can't go to God and say, I don't, I don't think you handled that right. Uh, they're celebrating because not only has judgment been handed out on all who oppose God and all who oppress his saints, they're saying that we can celebrate it because it's not one of those things you ever have that happen to say, I'm not sure we should be applauding this. I mean, it, it happened and 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 you know, but but I don't know that we should be excited and be applauding this. Well, yeah, that's in a world where somebody might have made a decision that had some flaw in it somewhere. Uh, but we're kind of happy of the result, but we didn't really like how we got there. Well, when it comes to God, you don't question anything he does. So whatever he just did was right, and it calls for celebration. Uh, so so he, he the justice he he handed out, it, it, it is correct. God's judgments are true, and they are righteous. Uh, if you'd like some cross-references on that, uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, chapter 9, 6 and 7 uh, says this, uh, in Jeremiah 23, 5, guess what they're talking about? Messiah will come and bring justice and righteousness on earth. And it's being said right here in the Revelation, almost like these prophets actually could see the future. It's almost like the whole Bible is about Jesus, because it is. Okay? and Because who did they say was going to come and make all this right? Messiah. And you know what's happening? You know what's getting celebrated? It's here. That, that's a really big deal. So the, the, the whole deal about inequity, injustice, unrighteousness, all of that is over. No more. Something didn't go right. Something wasn't fair. You know, look, when you're living in this fallen creation, if you're looking for perfect equity and perfect justice and perfect righteousness, good luck to you. Okay? It's, it's really silly for people to be so sad that these things, they can't quite make them happen because they're not going to happen. You're dealing with flawed people, and what's hilarious is when somebody stands up and claims they can make all these things happen. They can't make these things happen. 
They're not God. This place has fallen. There's fallen people in a fallen world. Inequity, uh, unfairness, unrighteousness, injustice, it's, it's part of the deal. That doesn't mean it's okay, but you need to understand it's part of it. But now, see, perfection has come. I, I had somebody today literally say, why do you think that the new heaven and new earth will be, will be perfection and all this will be over? I said, well, because that's what the Bible says. I mean, that, that, that's, that's exactly what it says. And, and so they're celebrating that what has happened, and you know, the, the, the great prostitute, Antichrist, and Satan have all been judged. The, the, the blood of his servants has been avenged. The martyred saints, if you'd like some cross-references on this, uh, that this is going to happen, uh, Deuteronomy 32, 42 and 43, talking about the, the avenging the blood of, the, of his servants. Second Thessalonians, now we're in the, the New Testament. Paul talks about this in chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. Okay, so, so the first reason that we ha- we're celebrating in heaven is because full salvation has come. The second reason, because justice has been handed out by God. The third is because all rebellion has ended. Rebellion's over. You know, there comes a time when 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 the age of grace closes out, the church age has completed its job, and then all rebellion against God's people and God is over. And wouldn't that be something to celebrate? I mean, would you not be celebrating if some 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 evil force was hounding you? Some evil force was hounding the people that you love. Some evil force you you would go to bed every night going, I don't know, they may get us tonight. I mean, this may be it. Can you imagine when Peter's talking to the church and Nero and and everybody's waiting on and if you heard that, it's over. You're you're about to be hung on a stick and lit on fire to light the streets, or you're gonna be skinned alive or turned upside down or you know what whatever. It's not good. And right now, let's be honest. I mean, if you turn down the wrong street, go the wrong way. I mean, I, I've had I've been in foreign countries before, and people say, "Were you afraid?" I said, "Not near as afraid as I would have been if I took the wrong turn in Chicago." You know it, and uh, and and so so you know, all of this rebellion against God, all the things that kind of make you anxious, and all the things that keep you awake at night, they're over. They're over. There, there, there's nothing to be afraid of anymore. Uh, and and so that's that brings, look, in verse 3, that's going to bring a second hallelujah. Once more, they cry out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. So in two, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Then here we come in verse 3, they cry out, let's go with another hallelujah. The, the the climax of 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 uh, the the death of of the the city of Babylon, the great prostitute, was when she was burned by fire. But here's the thing: they're celebrating right now. They say the smoke rises up forever. Why why is that important? You know, most things when they're destroyed, the smoke will eventually stop. What they're saying is there'll be no return. The, 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 the smoke of this judgment rises forever because the judgment that God has poured out on great Babylon and on Satan and on the people who rebel and on all of his demons, the judgment that God has handed out on Babylon is a final judgment. It's over. You won't face it again. It's final. It's done. And that brings hallelujah. Uh, and, and, and it should bring a hallelujah. Are we living our lives with a hallelujah? 
Because honestly, I know we're anticipating it finally being over, but if you are redeemed, it's already over. That doesn't mean your life's going to be easy right now. You're not going to face difficulty. That's not what I'm saying. But you, you're you looking ahead, and you know what you'll say? I, re, I remember the times that, that Sherry and I have sat down with people going through horrible, horrible, horrible things. And if they are people who have been redeemed, now what's not fun is when you sit down with people that aren't redeemed. That's a much tougher situation because they don't have the hope. Now, you hope this might lead to them reaching out for that hope. But, man, when you sit down with the redeemed, you can look them in the eye and say, listen, I know this is bad, and we're not going to try to you know, to dumb that down, but here's what we know. This is not the way it's always going to be. This is going to be resolved. This is not, your, this is not the plight for the rest of, of your life. God has resolved this. Your biggest problem has been resolved, and this is not the way it's always going to be. Well, imagine the hallelujah that would come out that nobody's just telling you that. It's actually happening. It really is over. Do y'all realize how wonderful that's going to be when the burden of all this garbage is over? Okay? And so the the end of man's day, has they've seen the judgment, the last corrupt, tyrannical, abuse, oppressive world empire is over. Human beings have had their shot, and they've tried to make themselves God, and that's over. And it, and it's over forever. Let me say that again. It's over forever, which garners a second hallelujah. With all that goes with this horrible, tyrannical, you know, absolute power, absolutely corrupts, all these people they are no longer an issue for anybody else. They're done. I kind of look forward to that. Okay. So now let's go to the next one. Okay. So we know that, that salvation has come. That's something to celebrate. We know that God's uh, judgment has been handed out, and it is correct. That's good. Rebellion has ended. Now here's number four. There's also celebration in heaven because God's in control. Now we, we, we are under the authority of one we can trust. God is in control. Uh, let's look at ver- verses 4 through 6. And 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen. Here comes hallelujah number three. Hallelujah. And, fr- and from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I love this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. All right, so here come the 24 elders. We remember them. They're back representing the church. We got the four living creatures. That This is the high-ranking orders. They represent that. All the high-ranking orders of, of, the, of the angels. Uh, these two have been worshiping God throughout the entire revelation. They, they, they have been prostrate before God's throne. They have been, and now they finally cry out because it's completion for them too. They've been waiting on it. They've been waiting on it. They've been waiting on it. And they cry out, amen. Let it be so. Hallelujah. Uh, they amen in, in, in a solemn agreement. We're all in agreement. And the voice from the throne, probably, likely it's an angel and the saints are told what to join in that's those who fear him join in and so now the saints all who've been redeemed 
All wisdom starts with what? Fear of God. All who have feared God, repented, and been redeemed, you now add your voices, and John hears the dramatic joining in of the saints. He said it gets louder and more powerful like many waters, mighty peals of thunder. I mean, and and, 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 and here's the thing. When the saints join in, now look up here, look, look, looking four, we get, we get amen, hallelujah, number three. Then, then we hear what the four creatures, um, uh, the living creatures say, representing all the rankings of the angels. We hear the 24 elders representing the church. We hear all of them praising. We hear, we hear the, the, the third amen. Now, this sound of the voice of a great multitude, it's a new group. That's the saints because it's all those who fear God. And listen to this, the roar of many waters like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out a fourth hallelujah. So now the saints said, we're in on hallelujah too. We're in. We, we, we got to say hallelujah. We got to say praise the Lord too. We got to praise his name for salvation. We got to praise his name for the judgment against all who opposed us. The saints are getting in. Can you imagine joining in? And, of course, that's, uh, that's all of those that have been through the, the horrible tribulation and have been martyred for the kingdom or, or have been overcomers to the very end and, and says all those, listen to this, because you got everything represented now. Now that everybody's in, okay, when everybody's in, it says that the, the, the louder and more powerful voices, the saints coming in, the fourth hallelujah, the motive for the fourth hallelujah for the Lord, our God, Almighty reigns. They say Almighty in the Revelation nine times, okay? Think about the peace that has come over these saints when they join in the course and they realize God is reigning with no opposition. We now are under the authority of perfection. And it brings another hallelujah. Hallelujah. God Almighty reigns. No one opposes him. He is where he's supposed to be. And, of course, then we get into the fifth reason of the celebration, because the marriage of the Lamb is completed. Now, this is beautiful in verses 7 through 10, and that's where we'll end today. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the, for, the, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, this is John, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Ooh, what a moment, what a moment, what a moment. So God uses the imagery, as we know, of a wedding <clears throat> to the picture of the Lord's relationship with his church. That's, that's the reason why you see the adversary, there's always an attack on marriage because marriage all throughout Scripture is used as an analogy for Jesus and the church. 
And and it, that's why that uh, you see things like that marriage is to be held in a place of honor by all. The marriage bed never defiled. That's that's out of Hebrews thirteen four, and and it's the reason why we should never be flippant about marriage, and we should never come up with our own versions of marriage. Uh, we should never do anything to defile marriage, because this is the imagery that we're getting uh, of 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 Christ and his church. So. All who are redeemed, and this is beautiful. Think about what's happening now. All who've been redeemed in the past, all that got raptured, and all that have been redeemed presently through the tribulation, they're all ready for the wedding ceremony to begin. And and, and the ceremony is going to coincide with the establishment of the millennial kingdom. Okay, and that's gonna that's gonna stretch as we know through one thousand years. That that'll be a period that will be finally consummated just like a bride, in the new heaven and the new earth. Thousand-year-long ceremony, but to God, this will be a very short period of time. But if you've ever been to a wedding that you thought was long, you're about to go to one that's going to last a thousand years, okay? And um, and I went to one that was so short one time, I couldn't believe we even had it. Uh, but uh, then there's some that can get a little lengthy. But anyway, so so he, he here's the key. His bride has made herself ready. She has been purged by God of all sin and impurity. She is flawless, blameless, unblemished, unblemished, just like a virgin. See, that's the thing that Paul was trying to make clear when we did our study of 1 Corinthians. And I think after the revelation, we never did pick it up. I think we're going to go back and pick up 2 Corinthians, and, and then we'll move on from there. That probably will be our next study. That's kind of where I am right now. But so Paul, that's the reason why he's speaking in 1 Corinthians 5 about this man that has committed this horrible sexual, sexually immoral act while being a member of the church. Okay, and I, I want to read to you this because I think it's important. And, and sometimes there's almost an attitude as if this isn't in the Bible. I don't know whether it makes us uncomfortable or, or we don't like to think of it. I think I heard it said best, and and uh, uh, and, and I, I think this probably is the best um, balance of, of church discipline. Is I heard it said by a pastor that I that I uh, of, the, of the many pastors that I really respect. He said, "If there's anybody that enjoys church discipline, I think that's weird." He said, "Because it's quite nauseating." He said, "But here's the other uh, the end of the spectrum." but it's necessary. It, it must be done. It's not fun and it is nauseating and it is sickening and it's nothing enjoyable, but it has to be done. Why? Because he does not want a blemished bride. And Paul is talking about this. He can't believe what he's hearing. Some of you that were in the study, you remember we, we talked about this in five and, and he says, it's actually been reported that there is a sexual immorality among you, a kind of that's not even tolerated by the pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and if as if present, meaning I wish I was there, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. Hey, you're trying to avoid some 
some temporal discomfort, but it's going to have eternal consequences. As a matter of fact, this might cause this man to go to hell. If you turned him over to his sin and you removed him from the church, he might actually repent and then ultimately be saved. And he says, it's arrogant of you to think that you're being so gracious and so you don't want to deal with it and, you're, and you don't want to be judgmental. He says, but really what you're doing is being so passive that you're letting him defile the church. And not only is that no good for the church, it's no good for him. Now, again, this is not any, any fun and it's not something anybody who walks around constantly trying to point out problems, I think they're an issue too. But you can also go too far the other way where you won't deal with things in the church when you have to. Because we were told to, because he's not going to have, he's going to have a spotless bride. And he's going to remove all those that uh, that make the bride uh, um, um, uh, defiled. He said, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He's going to corrupt the whole church if you let this go unchecked. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us, therefore, to celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Truth. And then he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world. He said, I'm not talking about out in the world, or you wouldn't be able to go outside. But this is important. Look at 11. But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother, that's those that claim to be redeemed and are part of the church. Do not associate with these people that, that are guilty of sexual morality or greed or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or a swindler. What he means is anybody in the church that claims to be a brother or claims to be a sister that is living in unrepentant, open, rebellious sin, don't even eat with them. Then he says, let me be clear, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? I don't judge the, the ones who don't claim to be part of the church. That's God's job. But this is something that people act like it's not in the Bible. Is it not the inside of the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, but we're called by him to purge evil from those among us. That's right out of Scripture. And all of that is because he's not going to have a blemished bride. And, and this kind of rebellion, we're not talking about people who make a mistake and own it and say, I shouldn't have done that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who stand in among the congregation defiantly saying God's standard is wrong and I'm going to continue to live openly a, a sinful life and I still expect to remain either in leadership in the church, I expect to be I expect to be a member of the church, and I do not expect to be removed, but I am not repenting and I'm not going to call that sin sin and I expect to stay here. Paul says they got to go for the, for the purity of the church and for their own eternity. So it may seem loving to be passive on that kind of stuff, but it's actually the opposite. We really end up in that horrible place. We don't love God or them. <laughs> That's the worst place you can be. And, uh, and, and it always causes, you know, I, 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 I've talked before with, with somebody who was dealing with this at a church one time, and they were letting something go. And he said, where we really erred is we let it go. What we didn't realize is that slowly but surely the congregation was finding out about what this person was doing. And they were they were talking about the role the person was still in. And and the and and the people in leadership said, somebody finally came to us and said, if you don't deal with this this week, you've got a real embarrassing moment coming Sunday because 
people who are in that part of the church are going to walk off and protest that this person is still part of them. So you better deal with it. See, that's that. Now it's starting to affect everything, you know. And so they did, to their credit, and 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 it, and it was the best thing for everybody involved. But but the reason why that's important is what we're seeing right here. When the marriage ceremony comes, whether we do it or not, God's going to purge all this out of his church. He's not going to have a blemish bride. He will purge that church, and that church will be uh, perfect for the thousand-year ceremony. The bride, the bride will be ready, and she will be unblemished. So anybody that claims to be part of the church but is living in rebellion, they'll all be gone. Fine linen... Uh, this in these in these these expensive beautiful clothing, the bright, the glistening, the shining, the radiant, all of this is just making the point. You know, God never makes a point casually. This is just more imagery of what she's pure, she's clean, she's undefiled. All that represent the church are all fully redeemed, fully reconciled to God, fully righteous. No one in rebellion remains. So these, uh, you know, before now, uh, the the clothing and the imagery that we see, and isn't this beautiful? If you're in here and you're redeemed, listen. Before now, only angels were ever represented to, to be to be dressed like this. The armies of heaven wore this these types of clothing, and now all the saints will have the same type clothing. Isn't that going to be great? And um, but according to the way I dress, this will be good for me to be dressed appropriately for the first time ever. Uh, also, uh, it, it's going to be made up. Now, think about this. I want you to picture yourself redeemed, okay, justified. I want you all to picture this. This is really going to happen. We will be moving into the final battle. We'll be in the millennial kingdom getting prepared for the final battle. As we move there, you will be looking and we will be in all of this radiant clothing, and we'll be walking right beside Michael. What's up? Here we go. We're, we're going to be walking out with the angels, and we're going to be with them because we're now part of God's army. Now, Jesus is so powerful, we don't get to do a whole lot, okay? But we're with him. We're walking out with him. You know what he says? These are all with me. You talk about the ultimate big brother that won't let anybody bother you. I mean, you're walking out with Jesus, the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, and we're with him. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful thought? So, so we'll go out, and, and we'll be accompanying Christ when he returns to earth. Uh, the fine linen, linen also represents Christ's righteousness for all the saints. He, he, he has taken his righteous, righteousness, and he has imparted it to the justified and imagine this moment when we're finally glorified. Justification has taken place, I hope for you. Sanctification, we're still being banged out during this process of sanctification. But now we finally reach glorification, and we are clothed in holy perfection. Hallelujah. Finally. Anybody tired of battling this body? I am. Man, I'm tired of it. It just... It just it just reminds me every day right now, you know I'm dying. Yes, I know. I feel you dying all around me. And uh, and you know that I'm going to try to take you into sin every chance I can get. I know. I wish you would stop. That's the reason why I'm going to feed the Spirit, so the Spirit will defeat you. So then 
we see that the angel tells John, write. What is he supposed to write? Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Write that down, John. Encourage those reading this. That they're blessed. Blessed are they. Because they've been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. They're in. Write it down. He's encouraging John. I'll tell you in a minute why John needs a little encouragement. It should be pretty obvious, but I'll tell you. So he tells them to write that down. What, what does this word blessed here in the Greek mean? I want you to listen to this now. It means joyous. It means satisfied. Even Mick Jagger said he couldn't get no satisfaction. No matter how much money, no matter how much he got, all this we've seen, but not the blessed. The blessed that have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the redeemed and the justified, they are satisfied. They yearn for nothing. They're completely joyous because all their problems have been resolved. They are completely fulfilled. How hard is it for you to find anything on this fallen creation that con- continues to fulfill you and it never fades? Think about you. Think about how many things in your life you thought, man, this is it, and you don't even care about it anymore. You know? And then maybe in a moment it, 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 it satisfied you, fulfilled you for a little while, but long term, most everything fades. You know? And so... And so, I mean, when you, when you just look, like I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, even, you know, looking to as my dad, you know, and the things that he's going through right now, and I think to myself, man, this is a fallen creation. I mean, I, I mean I, I'm watching him, and this guy, you know, was, was, it was a superhero. And you think this is the kind of person that surely he can keep a fallen creation from affecting him, but he can't. He, he, his powerful, strong body is fading away just like everybody else. His mind's already fading away. So, so, but, but not here. See, when he's there as one of the saints, he'll be, he'll be more than he's ever been before because he'll be perfect. He'll be glorified. He'll be joyous. He'll be satisfied. He'll be fulfilled. All the, the suffering that, that mom's going through having to take care of him, all that will be over. And I'm just giving that as an example of, of anything like that. Because they all have been invited, and what he's saying is, those of you that are being invited, you are a distinct group. You're the church. Y'all are invited. You've been redeemed. You're you're his bride. It's so hard to imagine such, such an intimate relationship with a holy God and all of the redeemed saints of all time, and it's so significant that the angel reaffirms with John, look, look what he says. And this, this makes my eyes water. Hey, John, these are the words of God. They're the true words of God. You know what he's saying to John? This really is going to happen. I'm not just saying this to make you feel better right now. These are the true words of God. Why would John have to be told that? John's life hasn't been easy. They've been trying to kill him. For some reason, God wouldn't let them martyr him. Now, the others have all been martyred. They tried, though. They boiled him in oil. They tried everything they could, and they couldn't kill him. But they've beaten him. They've jailed him. And now they've cast him out on this desolate island. He's out there. He's been exiled away from everybody. He's all by himself on this desolate place. And he would already be dead if they could kill him. They just can't kill him. So finally they said, just get him out of here. 
You think he doesn't need to be reassured? He's not even sure probably what he's going to eat today. He's been scrounging for ways to eat, find things on the island. He doesn't know why he's still alive. He doesn't know what he's been waiting on. He's probably ready to go. And the angel says, John, these things, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Everything that Jesus told you, it's going to happen. These are the true words of God. Never lose hope. This is not how it's always going to be. He's hearing that from the angel. So these are the true words of God. And then, of course, John is so just overwhelmed with hearing this reaffirmation. He must needed to hear that. I'm not trying to get in John's mind, but I think in most commentators believe his next action shows you he needed to hear that. Because what does he do? He drops down and tries to worship the one who told him that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for telling me that. He's old. He's beleaguered. He's in exile. He's on this island. And he's so moved by what the angel tells him, he fell down to worship the angel. You know what that is? Thank you. You ever had that happen? I needed to hear that. Thank you. This is strictly, as we know, prohibited in Scripture. That shows you how how, how much of an uncontrollable response it is. I mean, in Colossians 2.18, Matthew 4.10, we're told we don't worship angels, and the angels are always saying, even in the Old Testament, hey, hey, get up, don't. Don't worship me. Uh, of course, when people fall down before Jesus, he doesn't say that. He says that, that's the appropriate thing to do. So the angel gives John just a brief rebuke. Hey, hey, don't do that. Now I want you to think about this next reassuring statement from the angel. I'm just a fellow ser- servant just like you and the brothers. What? We're like you? Yeah. We're just servants just like you are. We, got, we, we were given some different things, powers that you, than y'all have. But at the end of it all, we were created by the same God you were. And you know what we were created to do? To serve him. And so were y'all. And so were y'all. I love that he throws in that he's not just a fellow servant with John, but he, you know what he says? He's a fellow servant with us, with all the brethren, male and female, that have been redeemed. He said, the brethren who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Look, look at if you, you have to look over at Hebrews real quick. You know Hebrews one fourteen tells us something very interesting about the angels. So so look at Hebrews chapter one, verse fourteen. And this is when uh, the writer of Hebrews has been talking about angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those? who are to inherit salvation. Didn't God make them so they could serve you, watch over you, and take care of you? And here he, here he is hearing that. What about when Elijah had his time? What happened? Who came and took care of him? Angels. They went to comfort him. And he wasn't even doing what he was supposed to do. I mean, he, he gets a rebuke from God a little later when God says, what are you even doing here? We've had this, I showed you myself against the prophets of Baal, and now you want to quit? Don't forget, in that Elijah moment, God was not done. Elijah told God he wanted to quit. Hey, I'm done. Of course, he gets a little full of himself and thinks he's the only devout person on earth, and God has to settle that. But he finally says, okay, if, if you're done, then you're going to have to go get Elijah ready. But, uh, but I really didn't, I didn't tell you to come run out here afraid like this, but he still sent the angels to take care of him because he knew he was tired. He was wore out. 
but that's another service a sermon. So uh, so when when the angels are there and he tells John that, I love this too, as if John needs to be told this. And I think this is something that, that we can apply to our lives. At first when I saw this, I thought, why? But no, this is, this is still profound. It's in the Bible, so I guess it would be. But but he is reminding John this. I understand what you're seeing right now is wonderful, and I understand that you appreciate me taking time as an angel to comfort you and show you all this, but let me be crystal clear. You only worship God. Now, see, you may not have encountered an angel, but what that's telling each and every one of us, no matter how valuable we may see something, no matter how wonderful we may think, we may have an incredible opinion of some human being, of some family member, of unfortunately sometimes hobbies and stuff. But the angel is reminding John, and you would think, well, right now, surely John doesn't have to be told to only worship God. Apparently he does. The angel says, hey, hey, I'm just a fellow servant. Your worship is reserved only for God. You only worship God. And so we need to all hear that. Because the scriptures are telling us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, only worship God. He's the only one that is worthy of our worship. And then the last thing he reminds him of is what? This is so good. This is good, good, good. The angel reminds John, too, the central theme of all the prophecy is Jesus. The testimony of Jesus, the saving gospel message and you know what he's saying to John? And to be sure, John writes down for all of us that are waiting on this moment that God knew we would sit in here and study right now. He's saying, do not, under any circumstance, alter my message. I don't want to hear about prophecy or anything else that doesn't include Jesus. All prophecy, all the Old Testament, all the prophets, all everything is pointing to the gospel message that redemption is found in Jesus and Jesus alone, and we must not alter that message under any circumstance. And then you know what? The last thing that we want to take away, and we'll close with this, and because of that message, we have much to rejoice over. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the message today. It is, it's just so powerful. I'm so thankful that you made sure that we got this and that we are, I mean, here we are sitting here in, you know, 2023 uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a Bible study and this technology you provided for us to go out to, who, to whoever wants to watch or listen to this. But thank you for the reminders. Even though we have all that going on right now, just sitting here walking through that, I'm thankful for the message that you just made sure you gave to me. And I pray that all of us in here felt it in, in that personal way, the way you intended it. And Lord, I pray for those out there that say, you know, right now I, I still find myself a, as an enemy of God. I, I don't know that I'd be invited to the, the marriage and the supper of the Lamb. I, I don't know that I would be invited. Well, if, if that's the case, the beautiful thing is that window has not closed yet but you've been told by God it's going to either when your your earthly death happens or uh, when when this this moment in history is finally here but right now today you can be invited 
by simply saying, I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin and I turn to you, Jesus, and I ask that you forgive me. I ask that you redeem me. Will you please reconcile me back to a holy God? I am a sinful person. I am wretched. And you have redeemed me. And today I would love for you to forgive me. I know that you love me. Could you teach me to love you? I don't want to be an enemy of God. I want you to reconcile me back to God. And I know only you can do it. You know, it's, Scripture says if that's a sincere request and sincere repentance and you're leaving your authority and say, I want to be under the authority of Jesus, uh, I want to worship him and him alone, uh, God hears that, and, and he'll redeem you. If I can help you in any way, just reach out to me, Rick, at BurgessMinistries.com. Lord, thank you for today and for all who are here and all who are hearing your message. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks a lot.